greatest gift that you can give to your church is the gift of your own transformation. We, we lead from our own transformation. What's up, JR? Hey, Doug. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. So for those of you listening, uh, when you walk into JR's office, it kind of feels a bit like a like he's a curator of a museum. There's a bunch of <laughs> random things around. And so this is a segment of the show called What's in JR's Office? And uh, I'm looking over and I see a gumball machine uh, with, doesn't look like there's any gumballs in that JR. <laughs> I've <eaten> so, them all. <laughs> can you tell us about the gumball machine? Yeah. Yeah. It is uh, it's a fun metaphor. It was a gift given to me in ministry about 12, 13 years ago. My first ministry that I was involved in was in Colorado Springs. Uh, it was kind of a young adult, 20-something, church-within-a-church model on Sunday night. And I loved what I was doing. But even at 24, 25 years old, I sprinted the marathon. Mm. I loved what I was doing, but I was I never could turn it off. I didn't mm. practice Sabbath. I was working early in the morning, late at night, didn't matter. And I was so burned out, and I didn't know it was burnout, but my boss, she sent me to a counselor. And she's like, I really think you need to see a Christian counselor. Uh, kind of weird by the stigma of the whole thing. Yep. Oh, I'm I'm a pastor. I should be the strong one for other people. I offer counseling to I, them. I counsel myself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm more spiritual than this, right? And then all those lies that we tell ourselves. So I went and uh, paid this guy a hundred bucks and uh, sat down. At the end of the time, he just listened to me. And then he drew me a terrible picture of a gumball machine. And he handed it to me. And I remember thinking, I paid this guy a hundred bucks to draw me a terrible looking picture of a gumball machine. What's this about? But he basically said this. He said, your gumball machine of your life is empty. Mm. And he said, you can do one of a few things. He said, uh, what we probably need to do is put an out of order, do not disturb sign on the front of the gumball machine. We need to unscrew the top and invite the Holy Spirit to fill the gumballs. Uh, the gumball machine full of full of gumballs right now. He said, you've got to learn as a pastor that your the gumballs you give out cannot exceed what you're mm. taking in. Mm. And so it was just a question that I then began to ask the leaders of our church, like, how's your gumball machine? Is it full? Is it empty? And uh, ironically, it is empty now <laughs> in my office is because I like eating gum. I just okay. need to go to the store and fill it up with more gumballs. But But even that practice of of uh of really saying lord i'm going to i'm going to open the top i open myself up to you like fill me with your gumballs and then those times where because if you go to a gumball machine and people put their money in and they they don't get their gumball out they get mad they oh, get yeah. angry they start shaking it and banging yes. it complaining to management yes and if we are are gumballless as pastors people get angry they get yeah. upset and so sometimes it means slowing the the giving of our gumballs away but it also means open ourselves up to say, Spirit, I need more of you to fill me up with rest and hope and healing and a pace yeah. that honors you and truth in my mind and all these things. So that's that's the gumball machine yeah. here in the corner of the room. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. Now, have you experienced like, for instance, have for you are, are the gumballs always the same, or or does the gumball vary in terms of different seasons? So like you mentioned, yeah, rest and things like that. Yeah, it's a great question. I do think that there are times where you feel like not only is the gumball machine full, but like it's now spilling out on the floor mm. where the Lord is just like just supplying and you just want to say, oh man, how do I help other people do this? Um, how do I give this to other people even beyond the gumball machine itself? And there are times it gets pretty low. And yeah. I think that's where I need to then say, maybe I put an out of order sign on this for right now mm. and just say, 
you know, don't don't put the money in the gumball machine because uh, right now I I need a, a refilling. Yeah. And um, so yeah, I think it goes in seasons. But um, it was such a wonderful gift when I shared that, and then we finally left uh, that ministry to come out to Pennsylvania. Uh, that was the the gift that the leaders of the church gave to me. That's beautiful. And they basically gave it to me because uh, they know I talked about it a lot, but they also said, may your gumballs, be, may the Lord fill you with gumballs in your gumball machine and may you never be empty again. Wow. And it was just such a beautiful gift. So not only do I like gum and it's fun to have an industrial size yeah. uh, gumball machine, um, just knowing that they put so much thought and attention into wanting to make sure I was healthy Mm. moving to the next ministry really has meant a lot to me. That's beautiful, man. Yeah, I, I think that that's, uh, that's so cool. And I know when when I was uh, apprenticing uh, under you for a season, that was one of the first metaphors that you shared with uh, me, and I kind of uh, forgot about it. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think for a minute I was a little concerned maybe you were like trash picking or you stole it. So that's <laughs> good to know. Now, moving around the room even a little more, and we'll have others where we talk about it, but... Um, it seems like there's is a uh, oxygen mask from uh, an airplane, and does TSA know about this, or was it stolen? Um, there is an oxygen mask, and uh, that was also a gift from someone else who assured me <laughs> that they did not steal okay, this off of an airplane okay. because that is a federal offense. <laughs> so I said, I, I did follow up and say, so where did you get that? He said, I bought it off eBay. I said, okay, <laughs> all right, all right, but but in many ways, right when we travel, we hear this. This common phrase. No one listens to the rote announcements given by the the flight attendants, but unless you're on Southwest, so that's true. But then those you don't really hilarious. paying attention. You're those just are, laughing. Those are yeah. those are so funny. They, they have really made that work. It'll do nothing to save your life, but at least you got a good laugh in. <laughs> but you did pay humor, right? Yeah, humor yeah. is the glue to attention. It is. And uh, but but in most airlines, uh, on most flights, it's it's pretty boring. But they say if if you know if the ox if if the aircraft loses, you know. Pressure. Pressure, and there's turbulence. Oxygen masks will fall from the ceiling. And what do they always say? If traveling with small children or those in need of assistance, strap your mask on first, pull the straps tight, then assist other people. And we hear that, yeah, yeah whatever. And that'll never happen to me, right? And uh, and yet, if you think about it, that sounds so selfish. Mm. Wait, wait. In times of emergency, especially as pastors, we say, I have to be the, the one that helps. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the order is wrong. Because to put it crassly, if I don't put my oxygen mask on first, I can't help the infant next to me. I can't help the old lady behind me. They die and I die too. But if I'm able to put the oxygen mask on and pull those straps tight, then I'm able to help the child, the mother, the old man or the old woman behind me. I can help multiple people, but I have to be breathing oxygen in and out in order to provide the help. And uh, they always always say... Uh, if oxygen bags don't inflate, said oxygen is still flowing through yeah. the bag. And I think that's the prayer a lot. Lord, I want to breathe the, the air, right? The, the pneuma, the ruach, right? The spirit, mm. the breath of the Holy Spirit. I want that running through me so that I can then help other people with that. And I know other times you've you've borrowed that from me and so I yeah. know that's been an important symbol. So why does that resonate with you as well this idea of a, of an oxygen mask? Yeah, I I, th- I think well, for me, a lot of it has just come down to experiencing seasons of burnout um, or seasons where I, I sense that I'm moving towards burnout. There's always one thing in common in mm. all of them. And that's that I'm not, I haven't put the, the mask on myself. Huh. And I think sometimes huh. the temptation for pastors is to 
just run around like mad people trying to help and serve and to do all these things. But we sort of miss that whole place of like, actually, it's good to turn my phone off or it's good to rest or it's good to have nothing to do today and to recognize that you know, I just need to hear and receive from the Lord because yeah, I feel, and, and even like the nuance of that sometimes can be so interesting because even in the sense of sermon prepping or prepping for Sunday, mm. um, sometimes I, I notice those lines can cross of like, well, I need to yeah. spend time with the Lord and I need to write a sermon. So I'll do both at the same yes, time. Right. It, I feel like it would almost be like, I need to spend time with, you know, with, with a really close friend and, but I also need to get some work done. So We'll just like huh. sort of go have a round of golf, but I'll be on my phone the whole time wow, like, while we're kind of hanging out. And it's like, wow. it's just not being fully present. And mm. I think to, to recognize that as a gift, right? The oxygen mask is a gift. Yeah. Like, Jesus wants to just pour his life into me yeah. so that I'm able to, to to pour life that he's given me into other people. Yeah. And, that's beautiful. And I feel like that's, for me, that's why it's just been so important. And I, it, it it is this constant reminder in my own soul of, I just need to find space for me. Like I'm noticing in the season of my life right now, so much of it is geared around silence. Like Mm. I set an alarm Mm. for 22 minutes every single morning. I light a candle, I hang out with Jesus and I'm just quiet. And my mind goes a million and a half places, usually for the first 21 minutes. And then that last minute seems to be gold where there's just this sense of the Lord pouring something new into me and fresh. And so mm. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. And it feels selfish, right? Because we say, I mean, some of it can be good motive. Some of it can be impure motive. The impure motive says, well, I should be the rescuer. Yeah. Like I'm the savior. <laughs> Jesus isn't, I'm going to. Now we wouldn't acknowledge that, but we live out of that motivation sometimes. But sometimes the healthy motivation, which can be still unhealthy, is I just want to serve people. Yeah. I want to love people. They yeah. have a need. I want to help them. Yeah. And so it feels st- selfish to practice Sabbath or, and I'm using air quotes, selfish, yeah. um, or to to rest or to take time in silence. Right. Or I just am going to enjoy a day where I can sleep in after a late elder meeting the night mm. before. You yeah. know? I mean, we think that's selfish. And so um, that's where we get into trouble. We think yeah. there's all these people that need help and turbulence on an airplane yeah, yeah, but it's not selfish. And I think that's the lie the evil one wants to tell us. You're yeah. being selfish. When no, yeah. the invitation, we not only need to put it on, but we've got to pull the straps tight. Mm. They always say that. Pull the straps tightly across your face. And I think there are times we we have good intentions of putting the mask on, but it's just kind of hanging off of our <laughs> yeah. face. We need to pull those straps tight and be a little bit disciplined by guarding and protecting that time. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's really important for us to be thinking through, even even as we spend time listening to the story, uh, because so much of what we talk about as pastors is just realizing that if we can be healthy, and I, I love that Jesus gives this these beautiful invitations and it's all throughout the gospels, you know, Jesus in uh, my, my, the one that sticks out to me the most is in Luke five. Mm. Um, Jesus calls the disciples and then very next he shows up with this leper heals them. And it says the crowds are just, are just like coming in. Mm. I just get this picture of like all these people showing up and they're Mm. like with big signs, you know, Jesus, like we want to see all this cool stuff. And it says, and he, he, he often withdrew to deserted places. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if Jesus needed to get out and spend time away from the masses to be refilled and to spend time with the father, then I should probably do that too. And I probably need to do that more yeah. than what I give myself allowance to do. Yeah, I heard a pastor talk about that that verse that lonely and desolate places mm. 
his translation was a place outside of a Wi-Fi signal. Boom. Wow. We hope that you all can have opportunities to get outside of Wi-Fi signals and to have the oxygen mask placed on, straps pulled, and to see your gumball machine filled to the point of overflowing. John Hand is site lead pastor for a multi-site church in Southern Ontario, Canada called The Meeting House, one of the largest churches in the country. In the summer of 2015, John and his family moved from central Pennsylvania where he had been church planting for the previous eight years. John and his wife Amy live with their children. John serves as a coach and cares for the souls of pastors, and he's a great man of wisdom. He's a good communicator, he loves the church, and he loves Jesus even more. Enjoy this conversation with our friend, John Hand. So John, it's great to have you here on the podcast. As you know, this is called the Monday Morning Podcast, and Doug and I are really excited to have a conversation with you. So tell us, what does a typical Monday look like for you? What is your inner world like on a Monday? Yeah, I would say typically, um, I, my, my ministry is kind of, um, shifted a bit different in terms of the rhythms of ministry now. So my Monday is probably a Saturday uh, in this present world. In my past, um, I was in church planting. When I was at my healthiest, Monday was a day where I had to intentionally sit, sit down. Like I had to, to take off the mantle of pastor and set it down. Because I wore it, I wore it all week up into up through Sunday, and then on Monday I consciously I had a prayer that I prayed, and I have that prayer, the same prayer I'm praying on Saturdays now. Jesus, you've trusted me with this leadership mantle for for six days, and today it's not mine; it's yours. Mm, wow! And so that that's like, and I I literally picture I still do it. Take it off put it down. So like I'm moving my hands off my shoulders and putting that mantle, um, down on the ground and I'm trusting it to, to God. And that's easier said than done because, um, oftentimes on Saturdays now or Mondays, then you go into a, a, your mind goes into a reflective zone where you're, you're now, it's like the replay, the highlight reel, <laughs> right, right? You're replaying your whole week and it's like, okay, well, I, I should have said that. Why did I say it that way yesterday morning at when I was preaching? I should have, I shouldn't have said that this way. This illustration was sucky. I should have used this illustration. What's wrong with me? Oh, I flubbed my words there. And so, um, I also can kind of hit the highlight reel of I was in this meeting and I met with this pastor this week because I oversee pastors and, um, oh, I was too controlling in this scenario. Mm. And so you tend to get, I can tend to get wrapped up in all the things I was not enough of this week rather than delighting and sitting and receiving what God was doing in me this week. 
And how did he use me this week? And where did he show up this week? And where did I see his, his work and his grace manifest in my life and through my gifts that I can just take some joy in that? Where did I see his activity around me and things that I, I had no control over? It's just God doing God's thing with or without me. Thankfully, he includes us. But sometimes he just doesn't need us and he does things around me. And I want to pay attention to that too. So. These days off or the Sabbath days tend to mentally, I tend to start with not enough. And then I have to transition. Part of the work is transitioning to no, 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 no. What was, what, where was God abundantly working through my gifts and abundantly working around me? Because pastoring is like farming, right? Man. Like we plant, we water. Every once in a while, you see a little shoot come out of the ground. And then our, um, at least my instinct is to go pull it up to make sure it's growing. And now I have pulled up the roots, right? I mm. want to go inspect. Is something happening? Is there, is, is I, I put in these ener- this energy and this effort, is something happening? And that Sabbath day and that Monday is just trusting stuff, stuff's happening. I don't need to make it happen. I need to pay attention to what did happen instead of what didn't happen. Does that make sense? That's a ton of wisdom in like two minutes. That was amazing. Tell us a little bit more about that prayer. I love that prayer. Did you come up with that prayer? Did did you hear that from someone else? I mean, even just the beautiful image of a mantle literally being taken off of your shoulders and placed on his. Uh, Mm -hmm. How long have you been praying that prayer? I have been praying that prayer for... I um, I had a nervous breakdown in 2012. And um, took an emergency sabbatical from my church at the time, and um, just saw went to a place called Marble Retreat in Cal in uh, Colorado with my wife, and um, started meeting with a spiritual director. After that, and really started to attend and pay attention to what's going on in me and my own brokenness and the healing that I. I need the wholeness that I need. Um, and so it was out of, I think it was in that zone where I was just like a sponge. I was just reading a lot. I was really feasting on like Walter Brueggemann's ideas around Sabbath as resistance and on Eugene Peterson. And probably, you know, I don't want to claim this as original. I probably picked up some idea that they had and just made it mine. And then, um, forgot where I got it <laughs> as we do. Um, but I, I think the prayer, the prayer is mine. The prayer is some version of, um, you've given me six days. You've asked me to wear this. Um, today it feels heavy. I take it off and give it to you. Mm. You wear it so that I can breathe fully so that when I take it back on, it's not as heavy because it does get heavy by the sixth day. And so when it comes off, um, it, there is this inflation. There is this like, Oh, like if we're really paying attention, like we can kind of breathe and you set it down and no guilt. I think that's one of the things that keeps us. That is so true. Totally prying it off as we feel guilty that we've taken it off because, you know, the psalmist says, be still so that you can know that God is God. And um, man, that's hard for us to, 
to really know that God is God. It's really re- yeah. And again, I really appreciate the, <clears throat> the way your body actually responds to things like that, to practices like that. Uh, it just seems like that's, I don't know. I'm, I'm like frantically jotting in the notes thinking I'm going to try this next time I have a Sabbath, which mine is on Friday, but yeah, question. You, you know, you mentioned that at your healthiest, this is what it looks like. What is what does this look like at your unhealthiest? So the uh, a unhealthy Monday morning, yeah, would I already talked about it, would be the highlight reel, okay. and yeah. I would um, I would be throwing if let's say get this highlight reel, and I'm standing back and I have darts and I'm throwing darts at all of my. Uh, weakness, my perceived weaknesses or failures or should have done this better or could have done that better. So I'm just kind of throwing darts at myself. That That's one unhealthy way um, to of just hyper self-critique. That is, I mean, it, it's not even about, at that point, it's not even about learning. It's about perfecting and and then punishing, unconsciously punishing myself for not being good enough. Um, that's one of my shadows in terms of the way that I've been created. So that would be, that would be a part of it. The other part would be, um, shame. I think even, even when, even when it's good, you have a good Sunday. I think that, uh, a lot of pastors end up heaping a lot of shame on themselves, um, because, you've really exposed yourself when you're, when you've on Sundays, when you're preaching, you've really put yourself out there. And we always, we kind of almost have this like buyer's remorse of like, I really put myself out there and now I've been exposed, either exposed in, in, um, in a personal way. Maybe I told a personal story, but even just exposed by the very fact that I got up there and I've now exposed myself to the critique of others of my gifts. Right. And so I think there's, um, I don't know, for some of us, I think there's at times that we want to go back and we want to take that back. We want to find a fig leaf that we want to hide behind. Um, we're going to hide that exposure because we feel exposed. Yeah. that sh- you know, I should do this. I should have said that. Why didn't I say that? We call that shooting all over ourselves because, mm-hmm. uh, man, it's just, it's so easy for us to do that as pastors. Um, mm-hmm. the self-flagellation, at the beginning of the week, it's just, it's hard, it's hard to communicate that to people who aren't pastors, isn't it? Yes. uh, But other pastors go, yes, I do it too. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, you talked about, um, this nervous breakdown that you had in 2012 and the burnout that you experienced and the retreat that you and your wife went out to in Colorado. How did you recover from that? And how are you still in the game? How are you still in ministry and cultivating a soft and healthy heart after something like that? Yeah, well, recovery, it, it was like I had a spiritual stroke. And so like a stroke victim, you have to you have to relearn how to feed yourself or relearn how to walk in some ways. And this was that I had to relearn how do I pastor without being driven by fear? And I think a lot of pastors pastor out of fear, fear that the bills won't get paid, fear that um, I'm, I'm not perceived as talented enough, or fear that if I don't preach a whiz-bang sermon, they won't come back next week. Mm. Fear. I just think there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of fear that I'm going to disappoint people, fear that if I say no to this, ultimately we have this chain of reaction thing that goes off in our head. If I say no to this request, this person may be disappointed. If they're disappointed, they may not come. If they don't come back, they may not give us money, blah, blah, blah. And like you can, you can easily find yourself like, like sitting under a crushing, a lowering ceiling, like in an Indiana Jones movie, trying to hold the whole thing up because you feel like if you don't hold it up, it'll all fall down. And you have a nervous breakdown. I had a nervous breakdown when that happened. And then I have to relearn how do I pastor without trying to hold the, the roof, the ceiling up because that's not my job. Mm. And what does that mean? And how do you ask for money? And how do you work 55 hour work weeks, but not out of compulsion and, and fear and anxiety. And how do I relate to myself and how do I relate to my family and how do I relate to my church? How do I pastor in this new reality? That was very difficult. That took about, I'm going to say that took 18 months for me to wander around in a bit of a wilderness fog, trying to figure out how to do that. But over time you develop uh, rhythms that free us then to uh, be able to use our gifts without fear or self scrutiny, and that we can cultivate joy and awareness of what is happening as opposed to what's not happening. We can create um, rhythms that give us the power to say no to the things that we need to say no to. And so I would say, why, what keeps me going? It's those rhythms. It's the spiritual practices that I have, not in a legalistic way, like, oh, I got to earn God's approval, but in a freedom way. I bind myself to the mast. I bind myself to these practices because in them I find incredible freedom. Mm. Uh, That freedom that keeps anxiety away and that keeps my controlling tendencies in in a space of surrender. And it keeps my... um, you know, keeps me free from worry or I tend to be hyper, um, responsible. So I take responsibility for things that are not mine to take responsibility. These rhythms remind me that this isn't your responsibility, right? This, this is God's it's okay. Um, so it, it's the spiritual practices and I've developed a, a variety of those that, um, sustain me and keep me vibrant. Mm. When you say, yeah. When you say bind yourself to the mast, you know, and some of those, I want to hear what some of those are, but I have to say when, when I hear you say that, I think of what about Bob finding himself to the mast? <laughs> I'm sailing. I'm, I'm a sailor. sailor. I sail. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't mean to bring, bring it down here a notch or two. But with that, what are some of those bind yourself to the mast rhythms and practices? You talked about this mantle prayer that you pray, which is beautiful. Mm. What are some of those other life-giving, non-legalistic, but very purposeful, intentional ways that keep you from burning out again? Be as specific Mm -hmm. and practical, ridiculously practical as you can. What does that look like for you? Well, so it looks like on um, Saturdays, which is kind of my Sabbath day, it looks like um, turning off my cell phone. And not, not checking my emails. Um, as soon as an email comes in that's from work, I've now, even if I'm not planning to work that day, I've now activated work brain. Mm. And so the mantle's so coming true. back on. So I, um, I'm really like, life is so noisy. I have to, I have to build 
for one day, I have to build a soundproof room where I'm not letting the external uh, noise and chatter and static where I'm not letting it penetrate. And I'm just going to um, create a space where I can hear what's going on in my own heart. Um, what, what am I carrying today? What, what wounds have <laughs> developed over those last week? Or what do I need to release? What attitudes, what resentments am I maybe harboring that I need to forgive? So just practically turn the cell phone off. Yeah, um, good. And then I, um, I have a, a daily rhythm of contemplative prayer where I sit for 23 minutes um, in silence. And I'm, this is not a prayer of asking. It's not a prayer of um, petition. It's not a prayer of confession. It's not a prayer really of words. It's a prayer of, of receptivity where I am creating a space to receive what God wants to give me in that time. And I'm not, I'm not asking specifically because I'm trusting that God knows what I need better than I know. And, uh, and I'm also creating space there for, like I said, whatever's in me to come up. Um, so somebody said the soul is like a wild animal and it needs safety. It needs a safe place and a quiet place for it to come out of the shadows. Mm. And so that's what contemplative prayer is. It's this quiet space to let the, the soul, which is like a wild animal, to let it come out so that I can know what's going on in me. And I can then um, allow the Holy Spirit in that space to mend me uh, or encourage me or affirm me um, or do for me what I don't even words can't even ask because I can't even articulate it. So that's another practical rhythm. I, uh, this is so simple, but I make a thankful list every day. Mm -hmm. of yeah, like 10 um, and this reminds me that I don't make the world go around. Yeah. I'm really that like at my core, I really can believe that. And so a thankful list is like, where's the activity of God in me and around me that wasn't me creating that activity um and so i'm just paying attention to like little things like my son made a funny joke at dinner the other day and the whole family burst out laughing for like five minutes do you know how precious that is mm. like precious. my whole family was on the same emotional plane for five minutes. This is a gift, especially because it was a happy emotional plane for five minutes. This is a gift. So I'm, I'm in my journal. I'm celebrating that. It's like, yes, I'm going to hold that and delight in that simple little thing because, um, that was the, the joy and the pleasure of God breaking into our dinner time. Like what a gift. Yeah, so it could be something great. little like that too, that I'm just, I'm allowing joy. I'm holding it in long enough to allow it to like penetrate. Say so, uh, from a neuroplasticity perspective, I'm forming neurological pathways in my brain that are interpreting the events of life around me through the God lens. Cause that's the truth of it. And then I'm holding it long enough for that to map onto my brain and turn into a positive emotion. 
we're hearing together uh, to some of the practices, mantle prayer, practicing Sabbath, turning your, your phone off, a 23-minute contemplative prayer that you do every day, gratitude journal. I mean, these are super mm-hmm. practical. This is what we hope there are pastors listening that are going, yes, I'm going to try that. I'm going to do that. I think there's a question I have in my mind that other pastors may be asking now, why 23 minutes? Why not 22 or 24? What is it about 23 on your contemplative prayer time? Why that, that amount of time? Uh, well, they say that they say the standard, I don't know, kind of bench benchmark, uh, for, for quiet contemplative prayer, uh, is, is 20 minutes. And so I'm just, I'm at, I'm notching that up a little bit. That's at 23. Um, just to give myself the space in the breathing room, um, to let what, I mean, you spend, especially when you first start, you spend the first, uh, let's say if it's 20 minutes, you spend the first 17, just trying to get still (laughs) and just trying to quiet your brain and stay centered on, on that receptivity. So let's say, you know, I'm, I've got five minutes going of something good. So <laughs> that's why 23, I wanted at yeah. least to get five minutes of something good. Good. Mm. That's great. That's really good. Yeah. Um, so what would you have to say to a, a young pastor who is just starting out or a few years into it as he's kind of looking at uh, the next few years and starting to come across some of these like, cracks or fissures of burnout burnout but there's um there's a couple different ways to pay attention to burnout and you want to you want to maybe it's some of each but burnout happens because uh i'm i'm doing the wrong things with my gifts so i call that kryptonite um for me kryptonite could be um let's say expense reports right? For some reason, the way I'm wired, if I do 20 minutes or 30 minutes of an expense report, which I have put off now for three months, because the idea of it just is exhausting. (laughs) If I do 20 minutes of that, it takes, let's say it takes 40 minutes. Let's say it takes maybe 50 minutes of emotional energy out of me by doing that 20 minute task. So that's like a negative 40 task. There's other tasks. There's other things that I do that are positive 50. And so I think burnout happens when you're doing too many negative 40 mm. tasks that you, you don't have enough positive 50s um, to be able to balance that. So you're, it's kryptonite. It takes more than it gives. There's other things that we do in ministry where I, you know, I put in 30 minutes and I get three hours of emotional jazz and yeah. joy out of doing that. Uh, and that the spirit of God seems to use when I do an hour of this, it seems to have this exponential impact. And that's just God exceeding my capacity in, in a way that he's wired me. So burnout happens in part because you're, you're doing too much kryptonite or you're in a kryptonite situation. The structure that you're working in is actually working against you. It's taking more from you than it's giving. The other aspect that can cr- contribute to burnout is, is the internal side. It's the what's driving me, what's motivating me, what am I really after here? And am I looking for the applause of men because that's never enough? 
Am I trying to be somebody that I'm not? Am I comparing myself to somebody that I'm not? And, um, and so I think you can get into a spot where uh, you're not being true to the gifts that God's given you in, in a certain, you know, in your role. And so you're, you're trying to prove you're, you're living a, a mask, right? It's I'm trying to prove something to the world that I am somebody and we, we can't do that. We'll burn out. We'll flame out. So when I get too linked with who I am, with what I do, gets too intertwined, um, it can lead to burnout for sure. So that, that would be two areas to inspect. Is this, is this like an internal me? Is this like a brokenness thing that I need to, is there a false self here that I need to stare into? Or is it simply that I, I'm just in the wrong role? It's not a fit for who I am. And the more I try, the harder it is and the more it takes. Wow. Yeah, that's really, that's so true. I feel like there's so many times when uh, some, sometimes it is just the structure of, you know, I feel like I've talked to pastors and they just recognize that they're just in the wrong fit. It's just not a good space. But then, mm -hmm. and I feel like sometimes that can really be encouraged just by changing positions or changing the job description or figuring out ways to offload certain things. But I think the dangerous one is that internal side of like, what's driving me? Yeah. Like that's the space that really can get hairy and scary uh, very quickly. Yeah. And so, we, and I just want to say every pastor needs a pastor. So we're, we pastor everybody else, but then we don't submit to the same practice. And so having a, a spiritual director or seeing a, a counselor mm -hmm. is quite valuable and I'm, I recommend that we um, pay for that. So I know that we can go see a mentor and I think that's wonderful. When I'm paying for it, I'm now in a, I'm paying for a non-reciprocating relationship yeah. and I can't do pastor jujitsu on them, you know, <laughs> you know, where we turn it around. It's a real so thing. It's like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm really good. I'm good. No, but how are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> right. That's pastor jujitsu. So when I'm in a, when I'm paying for um, either a professional therapy or a spiritual director, I can't do that on them because they're yeah, not going to let me word. do that. That's yeah. a good uh, word. It's their job to make it about me. And by paying for it, I'm valuing that myself. I'm valuing, I'm worth this time and this investment. And my soul is worth this time and this investment uh, for me to bring whatever has accumulated that week or month and pour it out. And then, help me find God in this. What's, where is it? Where help me, help me get unstuck from this place of brokenness that I find myself in. So I, I just said, please all pastors, uh, if you're not submitting yourself to something like that, um, I think you're missing out. John, thanks so much for your time. And just as we're coming to a close, um, you know, Mondays being very days where people are very depleted pastors, what, what's something you'd like to leave with them, like an encouragement or just something that they could sit with this week that would be a breath of fresh air? Pastoring can, for the, for the average pastor, pastoring can be incredibly thankless. You can go for weeks and not have a sincere thank you come mm. your way or be reminded that what you, you do really matters. And I love pastors. And I, I think if I could give the gift to any pastor, it would be to remind them that 
what you're doing is so important. It's so significant. It's so significant. And you may not see evidence of that for a long time, but the time you're putting in, the leadership that you're giving, the sacrifices that you're making, um, they are making a difference. And don't stop. <laughs> Keep doing it. And the and the greatest gift that you can give to your church is the gift of your own transformation. We we lead from our own transformation. And so you we have to prioritize ourselves. And that sounds selfish, but it's not. It's the it's the best gift that we can give the people that we lead is when we are inviting the spirit of God to heal and mend and restore and renew us on on the inside so that we can be the best, most effective conduit of God's grace and love that could possibly be because what we do really matters. And that's in a world where no one understands anymore what a pastor is or does, including most of the people in our churches, (laughs) let alone the person we sit next to on the airplane when they ask what we do. We have to say, oh, God, I don't want to say this. (laughs) And they look at us like, oh, like we still we still have horse and buggies. Oh, okay. What a great conversation with John Hand. I uh, I love that guy, man. That guy's got so much wisdom. Seriously, my goodness. Um, I think he packed more wisdom in a few amount of minutes than uh, with most pastors that I talk with, and uh, I so appreciate that about him. Um, I actually remember when John went through that burnout phase. Really? That was I was actually it was quite it was quite scary huh. for me to watch John go through that. I wanted to help. I check in with them via phone and text, but. Just also, I just knew, man, he's he's got to kind of go through this on his own, and it sounded like he stewarded it really healthily. Yeah, it's it's inter- he used that term spiritual stroke. Yeah, and uh, my brother when he was thirty one had a stroke, and I'll never forget walking into the hospital, uh, and he could open his eyes, he couldn't talk, he couldn't move part of his body, and uh, he was just like incapacitated. Mm. Um, and it took him this this like journey of three or four years to fully get back to like where he was. Mm. I remember when you got that the word oh. about Drew. It was like super, super scary. But I think what's been so cool is to watch how even when you feel like you've lost it all, like God restores, you can come back from Mm -hmm. even places like that. I just so encouraged by John's posture. Um, For me, there was this image that he gave of of like taking a mantle off of his shoulders. Oh, that was amazing. I've been practicing that. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You mentioned um, when we were talking to him about how when you do teaching prep. Yeah. You did talk a little bit about that. I, yeah. I did not know this. This was really yeah. cool. So uh, a, a year, a little bit over a year ago, um, Jr. and I were co-pastors at a church, and Jr. sensed the Lord's calling him out from being a pastor, and that's a whole different story yeah. of to actually talk about <laughs> Maybe a trans- another episode that actually yeah. would be really cool. A transition where the founding pastor is still present and part of the church that he founded, and it's yeah, that healthy. Yeah, needs some unpacking. Th- yeah, we'll it do really that does. at another time. Most of you scratch your head like, no, that's impossible. It actually is working, um, but. The mantle that was there, yeah. I, I 
I haven't thought much about that until that transition day where yeah. we took the mantle off of me and put it on you, yeah. but you use that still regularly. Yeah. That, this is what was new, yeah. new to me. On on Mondays and Thursdays are normally days that I do teaching prep or like pastoral prep work, whatever I'm doing for that week, whether it's a house church or a gathering. And I put that, I put the stole or the mantle on my shoulders mm. during prep as a reminder of this is God's work that I get to, I get to carry. That is so cool. Um, and that is so, so cool. And, and I have, uh, so in, in I'm going to steal that. Like I'm going to share that idea <laughs> yeah. with people. Like, steal that's fantastic. And for anyone listening, steal it, use it. It's that, that's why we do this podcast. We want this to just encourage people because stories encourage more stories and, and to use that. But for me, it's a physical re- reminder yeah. of like, what a this ritual. is holy work. Um, and I get to be a part of that. And Jesus is excited to partner huh. with me in this. And yeah. so it just reminds me that even when I get frustrated, it's like just the weight of that. Sometimes it'll, you know, kind of shift and move and I can feel it on my body. And it huh. just, it's this reminder of I partner with the Lord in this. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I love that image of of when we enter into a time of rest or Sabbath huh. that we sometimes have to physically take certain things off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what a prayer that he prayed, like, Lord, I take the mantle off. And then yeah. he said, I, I, I pray that when I take it up again in a day, yeah, that it would be lighter. Yeah. That was yeah. so good. Yes. It was so good. Yeah, I feel like if I could just, if, if people listening would just invite, just borrow, steal, use that practice mm. uh, as they enter into and leave Sabbath, I wonder I wonder what kind of health and lightness they would experience within ministry. Yeah. Yeah. And now that John is in his role at uh the meeting house in Canada, he's now pastoring pastors. Mm. So even though he's 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 kind of local church pastor, but he's also pastoring pastors in his specific role. Um the meeting house is a bit of a larger church. And he's stewarding his wounds and his failures yes. and his burnouts and his hard lessons well by teaching. I think that's why he's so passionate mm-hmm. about wanting to do that. We've got to have him back on. I mean, that guy yeah. was so good. I felt like we could have just done like a whole like month with John. <laughs> yeah. 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 We need to have him back for yes, sure. So absolutely. We want to leave you all with some questions as well as some resources as we go. And so, you know, John talking about spiritual stroke and health, that being our heartbeat here, we want to make sure that we even are are doing some assessments um, on how we are, some evaluations. So the question we want to ask you, a couple questions about health. On a scale of one to 10, how would you assess your health right now? Mm. Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, relational, pastoral, vocational. Um, on a scale of one to 10, one being very unhealthy, five, okay, 10, incredibly healthy. What number would you give? And because pastors, we can deceive ourselves well. Yes. Uh, the follow-up question would be, if you were to ask that same question to a spouse or to your your kids or to a friend or your elder team, and how would they how would they assess on a scale of one to ten your pastoral health right now? It's a vulnerable space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then also to ask whatever number that is, what would it look like to move up the scale one or two points in this mm-hmm. next season? Um, how could you say six months from now or three months from now I'm healthier now than I was three or six months ago? Um, what are some practices of doing and stop doing that we can enter into in this time? And uh, another question that we can submit to you all, actually, it's a four-part question, and it's a question I use a lot when I coach pastors is, uh, first of all, where are you thriving? Mm. Second, where are you struggling? Third, what's confusing? And last, what's missing? So again, where are you thriving? Where are you struggling? What's confusing? 
what's missing. Just to take a little diagnostic test mm. that you can you can do uh, on yourself, and even submit that with others. Maybe uh, talk with your staff about it. Talk with the elder team. Talk with other leaders within your church on how you and or they uh, are doing. Um, so that can be a, a helpful resource. Uh, help, some helpful questions. And speaking of resources, want to leave you with this. Um, the Inner Compass is a resource. It's a it's just compass rows north, south, east, west. And so if you think about that, even draw that on a piece of paper in front of you, what this compass rose in the north would be your guiding light. And so to just ask with this resource, what does my faith in Christ need to, where does it need to deepen? Who loves me deeply and who guides me? Sort of our north star. Then on the south, our southern light is like our internal longing. So what do I long to do or to become in this season? And where do I, or where do I need to experience joy and delight? Then if you think about west and east, right, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. So in the east, the rising sun, to ask what or who do I need to welcome? Mm. What do I need to take hold of? What are new opportunities coming my way in this season that are unique? And then lastly, in terms of the setting sun of the west, what do I need to release or let go of? And where do I need healing? Mm. Um, what's what's the setting sun right now uh, in my life? Mm. Thanks for joining us again on this episode of the Monday Morning Pastor. Check out our show notes for the questions and the resources, as well as a way to contact us. We would love to hear from you. Pastors, may you be reminded that you have been given permission to be a person. You are loved not by what you do or by how well you do it. You are loved for who you are, and more importantly, to whom you belong. 